Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens, in the history of the church, things get messy. And after the last couple of synods, nobody's going to disagree that things are really getting messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're having conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. It's also important for you to know that you are our marketing plan. We rely on you to spread the word about what we're doing at the Messy Reformation. We rely on you to share our content. We also rely on you to give us five-star reviews and provide good feedback for our podcast so that the algorithms push our content out into the world. You are our marketing plan. You can also support us financially on Patreon or Substack. All of the money raised is used to fund online hosting and build the platform of the Messy Reformation. You may even see a Messy Reformation conference coming in 2024. So keep your eyes peeled for an announcement. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of our conversation with Stuart DeYoung. I've read some of The Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield, and that's kind of getting towards that idea of hospitality. And my wife recently, I don't know if she read a book, it's called Holy Huga, Holy Hygie, something along. And it's along the lines of hospitality and having a space to welcome people into our lives. And nothing has to be perfect. You don't have to have your house spick and span and spotless and shining and but to invite people into your life. And that doesn't have to be in your own home, right? There's some neighborhoods, there's some situations, there's some circumstances where that's not possible or it's not uh, recommendable. And so, yeah, finding those neutral, well, neutral places or those, those already existing community grounds where we can have a low barrier to entry and we can build relationships with people and present the gospel uh, in its truth and beauty, but not force it on somebody, right? Coming into church is an intimidating thing for somebody who hasn't come in a month or a year or ever. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a, I don't know, it's always seemed kind of backwards to me to say, Hey, invite the nearest unbeliever to you to church next week as an evangelism tactic. That, mm-hmm. that seems so backwards to me. Um, yeah. you know, the, the one model we have for that low barrier to entry is Paul in the Areopagus in Acts 17, where he comes to uh, Greece and is preaching and he sees the, the God without a name. And he presents to the Greeks, hey, I know who God is. And you, all the rest of this pantheon is nothing. This God made the heavens and the earth and he brought salvation, you should be worshiping him. And Paul comes into their space, presents it, and then they kind of debate about it, right? But it's not Paul forcing them all into a synagogue or into a house church and saying, here, come listen to the uh, convicting preaching or uh, this letter I just wrote. It's the presentation of the gospel to those who are 
willing to listen. Yeah. Well, and even the interesting part about that, that kind of connects with one of the ideas I've been thinking is uh, Paul didn't actually like force himself in there either. They asked him mm-hmm. to come in. Um, mm-hmm. because he was being faithful. And so um, there, there's this idea, and I don't remember where I heard it, but um, where we need to be willing to just be guests in, mm-hmm. in places. Um, and so like the church often is like, Hey, we're going to create this thing and you're welcome to come. Right. So we're going to create this Bible study out mm-hmm. in the community and you're welcome to come to it. Or we're going to create this. And even, even all of our like outreach ministries are done in such a way as like, we're the host and you can come and be a guest. Mm-hmm. Whereas maybe we need to start being, putting ourselves in more of the position where we're the guest in other places. And that's going to, that, that's really uncomfortable often. Because yeah. gonna, people are hosting in places where you're like, oh, maybe I don't know how to interact here. Um, <laughs> you lose a little bit of control. And yet I think, um, again, as far as evangelism goes, learning how to be a guest out in the community and put yourself into some of those situations, I think is going to be uh, significant. And on a real practical note, that also relieves a lot of like small churches like mine where we don't have to create a million programs because we don't have the people to do all of these programs. We just can look for what is out there already and just enter in as a guest and be faithful there. Yeah. I think our, Oh, go ahead, Willie. Well, I was just going to say, Jason, you don't have the people to do that. I thought that was the pastor's job. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it? (laughs) Oh man. We had a missionary here a while back who, um, uh, and he does a lot of discipleship teaching or, or leadership teaching. He'll visit in Germany and Austria and recently went to Greece and just does some discipleship and some leadership training and then comes back to the States. And he, in his presentation, he he reminded our congregation, you know, it's not Pastor Stewart's job to do all of the evangelism. Like I'm, I'm trying to disciple and to lead and to build up um, for all of us to be evangelists, for all of us to be disciplers and discipling. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a challenge because we want to go out into those places. We want to be guests, but they are very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, we who have grown up in the church and are used to going to church for the past 20, 30, 80 years, it's weird to be in a world where we are no longer the norm. Mm-hmm. And more and more, our world is looking more and more unfriendly to the church, unfriendly to the gospel. And it makes us uncomfortable and we don't like discomfort. I don't like discomfort. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a great barrier that we need to learn to struggle against. Yeah. yeah, That, that discomfort, that foreignness uh, while also trying not to compromise the gospel, right? If, if we go into the Areopagus, there's a big temptation to, just tweak the gospel a little bit and say, well, Jesus is one savior and I think he's the best one and you should be worshiping, but go ahead and keep worshiping your gods. No, um, it's, it's a struggle to maintain the integrity of the gospel while also going into those places where we are guests and foreign and uncomfortable. Yeah. Maybe it's the concept of being a faithful guest, right? Being a guest there, but still mm-hmm. remaining faithful and uh and true to your convictions too right you don't have to you know but that's one of the ideas is jesus you know stepping into these situations where he was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton right Mm -hmm. because he was hanging out with sinners and tax collectors he was a guest in all of those situations and yet we know 
Jesus was not giving up on his convictions, right? He mm-hmm. was he was living it out. He was speaking the truth, and uh, and so learning how to do that. And uh, what you know, another part of this that's really been on my mind lately. So my my cross cultural internship, um, we did it in uh, the Dominican Republic. So uh, me and my family went to the Dominican Republic for five weeks, and one of the uh, the my favorite parts of doing ministry in the Dominican Republic was that culturally you do not hang out in your house alone. Um, Mm -hmm. Everybody's out on their porch at least, and most everybody's out on the street. And so it's very communal. And so we were helping, you know, kind of local leaders get these vacation Bible schools started. And we were kind of doing some of that work really they were doing a lot of good work and we were just kind of there encouraging them kind of, we, we didn't do as much helping as we thought we were going to do. They, they got it under control. But anyways, one of the things we would do is we would plan these vacation Bible schools. And then afterwards we would spend the next two hours walking around um, the, the barrios uh, doing ministry, talking to people, praying over people, sharing the gospel with people. And, and it was so easy because everybody was out on the street. Everybody was out there doing it. And I remember getting so excited about doing ministry that way. Like, this is so awesome. And I came back to the United States and started walking around the community. And like, I'd walk around for an hour and a half and see zero people because everybody was in their house or in their backyard. Nobody was out on the street. You know, it was, and I I got discouraged and kind of threw my hands up in the air. And yet, as I've been thinking about this idea more, um, those middle spaces for us now are coffee shops and bars, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, or for those fancier folks, microbreweries or whatever, you know, a, a microbrewery is just like, it's like a coffee shop with alcohol is really what they are. But anyways, you know, these kind of, these are like middle spaces where everybody's going to hang out and they're going there intentionally to talk with people and to have conversations with people. Um, and they're really great places for our Christians to start being present in a way where we're not giving up on our convictions, but we're there and people are ready and wanting to talk and have a conversation. Yeah, it's um, your example there of that contrast reminds me of the book Foreign to Familiar. And I don't know if I still have a copy. Maybe we got it for missions and evangelism class or something, but it just kind of goes through the differences between like warm and cold cultures and people who just, you can just walk in somebody's door and expect to be able to sit down for coffee or whatever for an hour or two and just be in conversation with somebody versus America where everybody keeps their doors closed and locked. And if you come and knock on a door, they'll crack the door open and try to shoo you away. You know Um, it's a very different dynamic. And, and growing up, I had gotten to see some of that, um, hospitality, you know, if there was a hay salesman or, um, a drug rep or what have you, or sometimes something from Gideon's or something related to church, my dad would be home from the dairy and be like, Hey hun, you know, so-and-so is coming over in half an hour. We got to put on a pot of coffee and let's put out some crackers and cheese. Or if my mom had made cookies or, you know, something like that, which is a really neat thing to do. But we have a lot of families where, Mom and dad are both working these days and hospitality is not as possible or um, just not as easy. Uh, It's uh, we live in a very cold culture and social media has only isolated us from each other further. 
Um, I've been using Facebook a lot less and have noticed myself being a little more lonely because I haven't formed a lot of friendships here yet. And I noticed that I've been just kind of using Facebook as a, um, as a cheap substitute rather than the genuine article. And it's not satisfying, but it just kind of strings me along and, and, um, puts a a facade over the reality. Um, and so, Oh, a friend of ours recently went to Uganda to to teach at the uh, Kampala school there. And, you know, you go to the market every day to pick up your groceries. You might have a small refrigerator, but you're getting fresh food every day for your dinner. You're not stocking up your fridge or freezer for a week or two weeks worth of food. So you can just go home every day and be by yourself. You're interacting in the public square always. Mm-hmm. And I think that's um that's something American culture is very broken around. Yeah. Although we do have those coffee shops and the pubs and so forth. Yeah, we have different kinds of it, but but we are definitely just in more we're we're less hospitable. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it definitely like it's there's a whole different level. I like when we were in the Dominican Republic, one of the things that I still didn't get used to. I mean, after five weeks, like we would show up in our so we stayed at the ministry center in Santa Domingo. And so we had an apartment, um, but we would show up and there would be random people staying in our apartment that, other, <laughs> that they showed up and they were like, oh yeah, we, you need a room? Yeah, go stay with them. And they would just throw them in there. Like we'd show up and all of a sudden there'd be suitcases in our room. And like the one morning, um, the one morning I woke up and I'm like, there's a light on in one of our rooms and there was like the doors were all locked when we went to bed and somebody got in our apartment in the middle of the night. And I'm like, and I have to leave. I have to go like to a meeting, but my family's in here. Like, what do I, what am I supposed to do? So I like open the door and I see there's like a bunch of like young 20 year old guys in the room, like four or five of them. And I'm like, uh, what are you doing? And they, they didn't speak English and and I spoke Spanish well enough, but they were all, we were all kind of startled and uh, I had to tell my wife, like, there's some 20 year old guys in our room. I assume somebody let them in here. Just uh, be careful. <laughs> and they were there for, <laughs> for a young adult ministry thing, but they were like, they got in early and they're like, oh, just go stay in, stay in the apartment there with them. <laughs> so it, was, <laughs> it was just a thing, right? Yeah. And in the United States, you would never imagine that, right? You would mm-hmm. never, no. that's unimaginable. You- you have to ask weeks in advance and you, you know, somebody has a spare room and a spare bed and fresh laundry. And we have to ask long ahead of time if we can go stay somewhere or, or be somewhere. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's uh we're in a totally different place and that's okay. And I'm not even somebody who's always like, I think hospitality is something we need to move forward with and we need to start growing in that for sure. But it's also not helpful for us to just kind of moan about it and groan about how terrible we are as a culture. We can Mm -hmm. probably, it's more effective and helpful for us to look at where, where are there opportunities for us to show hospitality, to be hospitable and connect with other people and then start capitalizing, capitalizing here for sure. That'd be, um, one beautiful fruit of the gospel changing hearts and also a great place for diaconal and mercy ministries, right? Uh, We have lots of people who don't own their homes who are paying out the nose for rent and lots of other people who have spare bedrooms, who have uh, cars they don't drive every day. 
that we could be spreading out a little more and sharing more and trying to, um, yeah, trying to bear those fruit well. Yeah. I want to, we're, we're starting to come kind of a little closer to the end. We've got a little bit yet, but I want to, there's one more thing I wanted to talk to you about Stuart, because, uh, you, you had written an overture to, to Synod last year, right? I think you were an author to yeah. an overture and it came to my committee and then, you know, we dropped the ball and it got kicked to next year. But, but I definitely Ugh. want to talk a little bit about, <laughs> I know, I know, such a failure. Um, so, but I did want to talk a little bit about kind of what led you to write this overture about uh, Gravamen. And then uh, maybe if any of your thinking has kind of changed on that, or what are your thoughts leading up to Synod 2024? Because that's, you know, we've got mm-hmm. two big issues coming up at Synod 2024, really. It's issues of Gravamen and then issues of discipline, really. Mm-hmm. And, yep. uh, so we've talked about discipline a little bit. So why don't we talk about Gravamen a little bit? So what kind of led you to to write that overture? Um, I mean, for me, really, it was why, why do we have people in our church who are trying to get around our covenant for office bearers? Why do we have members of the council of delegates? Why do we have members who are university faculty? Why do we have people who are seminary? Well, I don't know for sure about seminary faculty, right? Um, we have ministers in our church who are trying to get around the, commonly held belief that we have signed on to the covenant for office bearers. And, you know, it's, it's like, we don't really love paying taxes, but we are still called to give to Caesar unto Caesars or give to Caesar anyways. Um, and so we have expensive tax lawyers that we try to take that, that try to take advantage of every loophole of every, um, work around in order to save more money, in order to keep more money for our own businesses, our own investment, our own inheritances. Um, And we have people in our church who are trying to treat our covenant for office bearers as tax law and trying to make loopholes and make workarounds and make exceptions, whatever you call it, exemption, exemption. um, It's, it's, it's a disgrace. Uh, mm. Rather than honestly saying, hey, I have a problem with this and either correct me or I will stand corrected uh, or correct me or I will try to correct the denomination. We have people who are saying, well, I don't agree with you. So I'll try to have a, a display of unity while believing something entirely different from you. And that is a a it's building our, our house on sandy ground. Uh, It only sows distrust and it sows corruption and difficulty um, if we're not presenting the same gospel. And so I just wanted, you know, I knew there were, I had talked to somebody else and and knew there was at least one other gravamen and probably multiple other gravamen about the issue, or sorry, overtures about the issue with gravamen. And uh, I just wanted to, you know, kind of add to the dog pile and say, hey, this is a big deal. We shouldn't be having loopholes um, in our church order, uh, because if if we're not going to define same sex sexual activity as sinful, well, then we can just get into polyamory, polygamy, theft, um, uh, you name it. Right. We may as well start being idolaters if we're not going to confront each other in our sins and encourage each other toward holiness, what's the point of being Christians? 
Um, what's the point of calling each other brother and sister in Christ? Um, it was, yeah, just really heartbreaking to see the way people were trying to get around the discernment and the deliberation of synod. Um, yeah. And what, what are your thoughts? Why do you think, um, why do you think there are people who um, want to stay in our denomination while still not actually fully believing in our doctrines? Um, probably the, for one, the comfort of familiarity, right? Mm. I grew up in the CRC. Um, I've been to other churches here and there, but for the most part, I agree with, um, the way we read scripture and the way we seek to live it out. Um, I, I don't think that there's a whole lot wrong with our foundations so long as we live them out well and, um, are humble about it, right? We we in the CRC and in the Reformed and Presbyterian traditions, we have a tendency to talk more than we actually live out. Um, and so we need to be talking and living it out. But then there's also the tendency, and, and I wonder if it comes from uh, Kuiper or Kuiperianism or Neo-Kuiperianism of seeking to um, get into the culture at the cost of the gospel. Um, and I think that's part of it. We have a lot of people who care very much for the people around them. And so they're trying to get them into the church and get them to believe in Jesus Christ. And they want to be instruments for the kingdom, but they're sacrificing what the kingdom is just to try to get the people in rather than um, giving them the full love of the full conf- confrontation. Um and so, yeah, if, if, if there's somebody that we love who is outside of the church, it's easier to try to change the church sometimes or try to misrepresent what the Bible is saying than to fully confront each other and teach each other faithfully what it means um, to believe in Jesus Christ and to submit our lives to him. So yeah. I think I answered the question. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I think it was a good, a good point because, you know, there's been uh, a couple, uh, you kind of brought a couple things together that I've heard over, over the last few years and talking about this. And one people would say, well, they don't believe our doctrines. They just want to be part of the denomination because they just want to be Dutch. You know, it's the Dutch club thing. It's the, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is my my grandparents, my great grandparents were mm-hmm. CRC, so I'm going to be our CRC, even whether whether I believe the doctrines or not, I'm just going to be CRC because it's a heritage thing. But there's another part that you mentioned that I think hasn't been emphasized enough, and it's it, I'm not saying that this makes it good or right or at all, uh, but I'm but there's uh, there is also a group of pastors who who really desire to they desire to see, to shepherd their people. Right. And they love their flock and, and for them to leave the CRC means they have to leave the flock. All right. They have to leave the people that, that they, that they care for. Now, now I would say they're, if they're leading their congregation separate from our doctrines, that's they're leading them astray and that's not good. Mm -hmm. But, but I think it's just important for us to understand that there, it, it isn't, there is definitely a cost for them to, to walk away and to leave. And, and we just have to recognize that. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's a cost I think they should take. 
Like you either have or be corrected so that you're leading and directing your 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 flock in the covenant that we understood. But um, but I but I do think it's under it's important for people to recognize that for some um there's a real personal element to this and that causes some extra tension and struggle. And so they're like, well, it's easier for me just to disagree with the doctrines, take some form of an exception. Then I can still be in this church with these people, whether they care about the Dutch thing or not, but it's the the people in front of them. Right. Mm -hmm. So if I can find a way to work through the middle, um, that would be, you know, that's why they're, that's why they're doing that. Yeah. And I, yeah, there was a, a third dynamic to it that I, I remembered as you were speaking. I I wonder how much our philosophizing and, and intellectualization of scripture and theology has also put at risk what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ. When we're so engaged in thinking and, and trying to get into all the nitty gritties of apologetics and theology, um, sometimes that comes at the expense of faithful ministry. When when we are so ingrained in academics and the university and the academy and the way that that works, we tend to forget that, no, this is more, well, in many cases, this is more of an organic thing. This is a flock. This is a vine to be pruned and a herd to be cared for, not just a body of ideas and a set of beliefs to be doled out or taught. Um, And it, yeah, there was somebody after synod over the summer, uh, one of the RCRC um, philosophers um, who was posted on social media or, or on his own blog or something. Oh, what a sad loss for the intellectual heritage of the CRC when we'll just be so, um, unloving to our friends and our brothers and sisters who uh, are in same-sex relationships or are struggling with same-sex attraction and so forth. Um, but that that just so overcomplicates the issue when mm-hmm. we we just add all sorts of philosophy on top of this and, and social work and um, social science and worldly wisdom rather than scriptural wisdom. Um, and we use those things to work around the biblical convictions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and one of the things I just appreciate about what you said, and, and, you know, I'm a kid who grew up on a dairy farm too. So, so I'm uh yeah, dairy kid here, but, but there, you do think differently growing up on a farm and being around, you know, and there's something to, uh, I, I've said this a bunch of times, actually, some of the best theologians I know are dairy farmers. Um, they're not going to be high intellectual and deal with all the weird nuances of words, but they understand life. They understand the world that God created and they read their Bible and they know their God and they're, they're not going to beat around the bush. They're just going to say it like it is, which is why I'm a little bit like I am, I suppose too, but, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, uh, and so, and, and really what happens often are all of these high level intellectuals who think they're very, very smart think, well, we just can nuance everything to death. We can kind of talk our way out of anything and make anything sound okay. Where it's most of the people in our pews are, are people who are saying, well, I read the Bible and it says this, is, is this good or bad? Like, is this right or wrong? Should we do this or not do this? And it's like, well, it's more complicated than that. No, it's not. Is it right or wrong? 
<laughs> should we do this or should we not do this? Right. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, and there's, there's that aspect to what you said, but also the aspect of, um, you, you and I'm trying to think of how to, you word it, you said it's, it's more organic than just, it's not just a concept of ideas. We're like shepherding a flock here or shepherding a, a herd. Right. And where, uh, where some people do see the faith as just this ideas, right. It's philosophies, it's ideas, it's all mental. It's all up here rather than something that's like lived out. It's part of the dirt. It's got an earthiness to it. I think for anybody who would say it's not as simple as doing the right thing or the wrong thing. Uh, these are the people who compromise beyond what is justifiable. I would say, and these are the people that don't know what it is to contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Um, and they're willing to give themselves over to means that completely just, I would say, compromise the gospel. And ultimately, from our perspective, send people to hell. Mm -hmm. And from our perspective, that's something that we cannot condone. Uh, and we ought not take any part of. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I've, I've noticed in my, in myself recently, and I think part of this does just come from being a farm kid and, and growing up, you know, when I say earthiness, I'm not talking about worldliness. I'm talking about like being people of the dirt, you know, like there's a, <laughs> in the world, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, uh, but I, I've noticed not only like I'm quoting Proverbs a lot more, um, mm -hmm. but I'm also like just referencing how the world works like this is how god has created things to work and uh and this is how he how if we're going to live in the world we're going to live in line with the way that god has created the world like that's a summary of the book of proverbs saying here's how god yeah. created the world if you if you choose to live try to live if you try to live you can't but if you try to live outside of the way god has created the world you're a fool right but the wise person lives in line yeah, with the way it's, god created the world and and uh, as we've gotten, as just society as a whole has gotten kind of removed from that earthiness, we've gotten all conceptualized up here, heady, and uh, we've become fools because mm -hmm. we've got disconnected just from the reality of how God has created the world. Yeah. Um, I'm, uh, I started reading a book by uh, Nancy Piercy. She wrote a book, Love Thy Body. Be wonderful book about sexuality and the design for humanity by God of how family and sex and um, yeah. And how that works according to God's word and according to God's design. And I, I I've read maybe the first chapter of a book she, she recently wrote called the toxic war against max masculinity. Mm. Um, and there's, there's one point where she's talking about, John Adams and his wife and, and his wife, Abigail was telling John Adams, Hey, don't forget the women, you know, in the, the Puritan culture, you know, they, the, the husbands were leaders and teachers, but there were wife beaters among them. There were drunkards among them, even so, you know, and something our modern culture with the industrial revolution, with um, all of the family going to work with, the changes of technology, we've become separated from natural law and from the shape that God gives the world. And the fact, hey, you know, women do need the protection of law and order and sometimes husbands and fathers because women are physically weaker. They 
on average, have less muscle mass and less bone density. And when we separate ourselves from the design that God has given us, we forget uh, how that works itself out in our faith and in our life, right? If we separate ourselves like we have with contraception and no-fault divorce and the whole cascade down, if we separate ourselves from the fact that it takes a man and a woman to make a child and grow a family, outside of adoption or IVF or whatever other means. When we separate ourselves from that, then it makes it easier to permit those things that are outside of God's design for family. Um, and we've, we've separated ourselves as a farmer would see for what it takes for life to continue. Um, yeah. Talking about farming reminds me, you know, when I got to West Michigan, there's definitely a West Michigan nice that I had to get used to. Growing up, you could just do attacks on your friends as, you know, you're debating around the barbecue and you just call somebody an idiot and they just take it and shrug it off. But um, in West Michigan, you, I had to learn to be much more careful with my words and much more careful with how I talked about things. Um, so it was, it was definitely a different dynamic. And I think with that philosophy and with that, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Those two things have come together to don't confront sin and just philosophize your way around it. Mm -hmm. That's right. And it's poison. Yeah. Yeah. And they're idols, right? They're both idols of our Midwestern culture for sure. Um, where, uh, you know, um, I'm preaching through the gospel of John right now. And I repeatedly have people in my church with really big eyes going, wait, did Jesus actually say that? I'm like, well, in the Bible, he said it. He did call people children of the devil. He did, <laughs> he did call people, you know, whitewashed tombs. He did call people uh, lots of things, right? He did tell the Pharisees they were blind and that they were going to die in their sin. Um, he said those things. And, uh, and if we're really uncomfortable being able to say the same things that Jesus said, uh, that's always uh, a point that there's an idol. Now, obviously there's a time and a place, but still there's an idol. If we can't speak and live the way Jesus spoke and lived, then there's some idol going on there and we need to repent of that. And why did Jesus say those things? Because he wasn't from West Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> what? I thought Jesus I was shot. I know what a shocker, right? Willie, the the Bible was first written in Ephesian. Oh, right! I forgot about that. You're right. Yeah. His name was like Jesus von Galilee, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah. yeah. Well, we are coming to the end of our podcast here, Stuart. And uh, one of the things we always kind of wrap up with is we give. Uh, give our guests an opportunity to kind of give some final words to our listeners. We have a huge kind of wide range of people listening. We do have pastors listening, but we have elders, deacons, lay people, college students, a whole wide spectrum of people who listen. And so it's kind of based on some of the things we've been talking about or something that God's been laying on your heart. What's some kind of final words you want to leave them with? Yeah. Uh, the biggest thing that's been hitting me lately uh, is that I cannot do this on my own. Right. Um, I, I, as a pastor, am not the sole shepherd here. I have elders who work alongside of me. We as the church are not the uh, engine and the energy that makes the growth of the kingdom happen. It is God at work that makes anything possible uh, and much more. 
the spread of the gospel, the growth of the kingdom. And so um, <laughs> I was just quoting this verse yesterday, um, John 3, 30, where the, John the Baptist is saying, may I decrease and may he increase. Um, I think when we seek to make ourselves small and Christ larger than us, then we we start to pursue him and we find unity in Christ and in pursuing holiness as God um, teaches us rather than trying to make ourselves great, rather than trying to make our denomination great, we should be seeking to make Christ great. That's all we have for this week. If you want to help us out and support the Messy Reformation, another thing you can do is sign up for our newsletter through Substack. That way you'll get episodes and summaries sent directly to your email inbox. It will also give us the opportunity to communicate with our audience, which is one of the biggest struggles of a podcast. So head over to The Messy Reformation on Substack and sign up for our newsletter. Now, stay tuned next week for our conversation with Aaron Gradanis. But until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation. Mm-hmm.